I'm Michelle Olivier, and you're listening to Hey, I Want Your Job, the podcast that looks at amazing jobs and what it takes to get them. Hi, and welcome to Hey, I Want Your Job. Today, we have a really interesting guest. I'm so excited. Uh, Genesis is with us. She, well, I'll let you, I'll let her tell you who she is and what she does. But suffice to say, it's totally different from people we've talked to in the past. And I am super excited to get to learn um, in this episode. So Genesis, let's start. What is your job title? Hey, so I am an author, the author of Chocolate Drop in Corporate America, from the pit to the palace. I'm also a creative content writer, visionary, self-development advocate, and an inclusion and diversity enthusiast, which is two big buzzwords going on these days. So I definitely love to unravel and unpack it and have fluid conversations about what is inclusion and diversity? What should it look like? Is your company operating in a space of IND, or some people say DNI, and how can they work together to ensure that everyone is being represented? Well, I am excited to delve into so much of that, but I have to start with, I just can't tell you how much I am delighted by somebody who has the moxie to call themselves a visionary. Like, and I don't mean that to be in any way patronized. I am sincere when I say I love just the, I have a lot to say and you should listen to me. And I, I just think that's amazing. So well done for, for knowing yourself and knowing your space in this world and claiming it. So that's awesome. Um, so let's talk about Chocolate Drop. <laughs> so how... How did this happen? So to be honest, Chocolate Drop in Corporate America was actually birthed out of frustration. It was one day after a performance review that I had with my supervisor where it just went left really quick because she was giving me feedback that, you know, had already been submitted, but it wasn't in parallel to my peer review feedback that I received. And I work in oil and gas and I work for a fortune 500 company. So there's times where they do force rankings Mm -hmm. and part of your force ranking is your peer review, as well as how other managers along with your manager see you once they go battle out in a room and the stuff that she was saying, I was like, oh my gosh, this is totally contradictory to what my peer reviews was. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is just ridiculous. And so I was going back and forth with her and she's like, well, that's just how it is. And I can't change it. The ranking has already been submitted. And if we were to, you know, change it, it would have to go up to upper management and it could get as high as a VP level. And at that point I was like, cool with that. I was like, okay, let's go. And she's like, you have been a VP. Let's do this. (laughs) And she's like, you shake, you shake that as a B. Like, you know, I knew I was pushing you for an A and I was like okay well I did process improvements and I've done done a whole lot of other things while in this role which it was a newly developed role that the company never had before so I didn't have any experience or any 
uh, predecessors to go to. So I pretty much took, you know, took the role by the balls and made it what it was. And I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous. So I just pulled out my phone, I kid you not, and I wrote down chocolate drop in corporate America. And I wrote three sentences. And little did I know it was going to turn into a full blown book. <laughs> oh, wow. So did you feel like the disconnect in that situation was racially, that race was part of the issue there? Because chocolate drop implies a racial issue. So it, did you feel like that was part of what was happening? I did. And I knew it was part of what was happening, you know, last year, because after my after my book came out, the whole Black Lives Matter movement started. And that's whenever the VP actually called on me in his meeting to talk about, okay, can you share an experience, whether, you know, professionally or, you know, personally, where you have faced racism? And I shared, and I kid you not, a week later after that discussion, I got a 20% salary increase. Oh, wow. So I was underpaid for over three years doing my current role. So, and I was like, when I look around, I'm the only chocolate drop. And the reason why I called the book chocolate drop was because I was like, I'm tired of saying black or African-American. I wanted something cute and fun, but I also wanted a title that was controversial in order to turn heads because when people see the title of the book, but then they also look at the cover and I'll flash it up here so you can uh, see what I mean. The book cover definitely shows inclusion and diversity. So the only thing controversial on the cover of the book is the name because mm -hmm. there's a world in the background that represents that systemic racism as well as systemic issues can happen worldwide no matter what industry you're in and I also took various industry professionals and put them on the cover of the book because no matter what professional what profession you're in whether it's medical construction finance like you can face issues where you have been slighted, you could face, you know, discri discrimination, ageism, or whatever the case may be, where you felt like you were being targeted for either the group that you identify with, how you look, whether you have disabilities that are physical or invisible, or whatever the case may be. So I, I think that is absolutely a, a hope that we're all more aware of that now in 2021, that maybe we were a couple of years ago, I'm hoping that people get more and more and more aware and then actually start doing something about it. So let's start there. If you were going to give one overwhelming piece of advice to corporate America about the diversity crisis we have and about the issues that we're starting to face about undoing all racism. And I understand this is like the biggest ask in the world, right? Like you get one piece of advice to fix everything. What would your single largest, most actionable piece of advice for them be? What I, should would I would definitely encourage the, these corporations out here is stop making inclusion and diversity a check the box exercise and really go beyond the surface level. Like whenever you yeah. hire a person, you should really look at the skills that they are bringing to the table, their qualific 
qualifications and seeing how not only are you hiring them for a particular role, but how can they serve the longevity and the purpose of the corporation and not just hire them as, you know, merely placeholders to keep them in one position, but look at the progression that they could go with the company and how you could groom them and grow them to mature into, you know, subject matter experts, mature them into leaders, mature them into not just individual contributors, but if they wanted to go into a management role or whatever the case may be, set them up for success. Because I feel like there are so many corporations out there that are talking about inclusion and diversity, throwing out these buzzwords, but it's really a facade and you're not really seeing the evidence of inclusion and diversity inside the corporation. And I, I think, yeah, yes. I think that there's a lot of hiring of a token brown person and putting them in a role that's called diversity and inclusion director or vice president or something and then being like, look, we did the thing and hoping that that then fixes it. And it's just, it's not, mm -hmm. I don't even know how to begin <laughs> really with those people to, to explain how far from fixing it that that really is. I think that one of the things that's been really interesting to me in having the diversity and inclusion dialogue with my clients and just even friends and in industry is that I think that the ingrained nature of the institutional racism in this country in particular is such that so many people not of color can't even really picture what it looks like. Does that make sense? Like they feel like if people aren't burning crosses or wearing, you know, clan robes, then it's not racism. And so trying to like break through that and explaining this is how it looks and feels in 2021, I think is hard and important part of the dialogue. Can you talk to me a little bit about what, that experience looks like just day in and day out from your from what you've experienced in the research and everything you did for your book? So I would definitely um, start off by saying my book was all personal experience. Okay. I, so you lived yeah. your research for your book. Yes. So it's, okay. <laughs> that I endured. So then and in I, your experience then. Yes. And I think a lot of people, sometimes they just assume or they have preconceived judgments or notions and they base it on what other people have said about you versus, you know, going to the source for it for their self and learning about your asking you questions. And I feel like ignorance is bliss. Like if you're not sure how, you know, how someone feels or why someone said what they said, you should just have an open dialogue and ask them a question say yeah okay I heard you said this can you please explain to me why you said this or help me understand why do you think the way that you think and then just have it as an open dialogue versus trying to verbally attack them or you know come at them from a you know different point of view where it's kind of feeling like okay she's talking she's talking at me versus talking with me and I feel like that can happen a lot in the workplace because people can be very confrontational and sometimes they don't want to have those healthy discussions or those hard conversations because they're afraid of what the other person is going to say but if you go with them in a level-headed mind and say hey I'm just tr really trying to understand your standpoint and I want to understand more about your background can we have 
you know, this discussion. I'm not here to attack you. I just really want to, you know, work together. And so we can build a partnership versus, you know, a competition. Another thing that I would um, encourage people to do is really learn about other races. And the reason why I say that is because I'm first generation American. And then my family is also mixed. Um, two of my nieces, two, no, my niece and nephew. So they're half Caucasian. The other two are half Indian. One of my brothers is married to an African lady. So it's pretty much like we have the Your whole melting have- pot of a family. Yes. <laughs> yes. You and- are the American dream <laughs> in one family. That's what you just said, Genesis. <laughs> yes. That's, yes, that's exactly it. And, you know, you definitely have to like understand other cultures, like once you're marrying into other people's families and, you know, not only them coming into your family, but you also have to reach your hand out and understand where they're coming from and why they say what they say or why they believe what they believe. And I think it definitely helps bridge the gap because it's no longer showing, okay, it's my way and or the highway but it's like breaking like I said breaking down those barriers and really showing them that I care I care about you or I care enough about you in order to you know put my microaggressions or my preconceived notions to the side so I could really begin to learn about you and work together another thing I would say to to the corporations out there is really if you're unaware of something why can't we bring in outside personnel from from organizations that specialize in the in the niche like inclusion and diversity hire someone outside of the organization and inclusion and diversity is not just about black and brown people it's about people who have physical disabilities as well as those who have indivisible um, disabilities. It's about are you making the LGBTQ community feel inclusive? Are you um, helping the working mothers who are repatriating it back into the organization? Are you, you know, setting them up for success when they come back to the workplace? Do they have a mother's room where they could breastfeed? Or do they have a place where they could, you know, pump or whatever? Or, you know, there's different Absolutely. things that mothers need when they go back to the work. And then, you know, there's also, uh, my company had developed a prayer room for those people who are religious, who need to pray at certain times of the day. Those are all a part of inclusion and diversity and making sure that everyone has, you know, what they need in order to be successful at work, but also to feel like they are a valuable token. So I think that, um, I hear everything you're saying. And my big takeaway from you, from what you said there is we need to listen. Yeah. That the decision makers need to ask questions and not be, not be afraid to own that they don't know everything Mm -hmm. and that then they need to listen and act on what they get told back. And I think that that is really wise advice. And so then my next question is, Okay, so let's say that I am looking for a job and I have had this, you know, I've had problems before, uh, you know, I'm want, trying to find a company that is genuinely trying to do better. And I think that for me right now, my concern is like we were talking about, there's companies out there that are hiring somebody to sit in that position as 
director of diversity and inclusion and then have no interest in changing anything else about their organization. And so that's, it, you know, it's just, you know, virtue signaling, not actual change. As an outside person, what do you think are, what should you be looking for within an organization? What are the, the signs that they're truly committed to diversity and inclusion? I would see, are they giving back to different organizations that, you know, sponsor inclusion and diversity, like the National Diversity Council, or um, are they partnering with NAACP? Are they partnering with any HBCUs, like to help, you know, hire minority students? I would also see, okay, how are they involved in the community? What organizations are they partnering in the community? And are they just hiring you know, that person as a placeholder, or are they putting their money back into the community that they are really, you know, talking about inclusion and diversity. And then I would also, you know, research them online, like look at their website, look at different ways that they are out on the media and see if you can, if you can see glimpse of them being inclusion, inclusive and diverse online, or do you only just see it on their website in one spot? Because if yeah. you just see it on one spot versus multiple spots, then that just shows, okay, I'm only putting this up here to target a certain group of people. But if you don't see it like across multiple platforms where you could really see it as being evident, then I may just, you know, skip past that company. And that's just my personal opinion. Yeah, I, I just, you know, I, this is one of the things that I'm genuinely, like, I'm not asking because I think I know the answer. I'm genuinely at, I, I get stuck on this a lot because I help job seekers looking for work to find the right places for them. And this just comes up all the time because the big companies, they have really good marketing teams. And so all of their pictures are like that perfect rainbow, right? They have like somebody of all of the different skin tones in the photo. They've made sure that there's like a woman wearing a hard hat so that it looks like they're inclusive that way. And yet we know that that's not the reality once you, once you get there, like that's just really good marketing. And I worry like, I'm listening to you talk about, oh, you know, are they giving to the right organizations? Are they working with the NAACP? And I'm like, yeah, that's great. Then I'm like, yeah, it's a check. Like, I, I just, I think that my distrust of big corporate America is so deep at this point, Genesis, that I'm like, if they thought all they had to do was write a couple of checks to the right organizations, they'd be all over it in the same way that, you know, they hire the marketing firm to get those stock images of the perfect rainbow of people. So I'm, I'm really, I really struggle with helping my clients to, to find a smarter way to, to figure it out. And if you crack this one and you come up with some kind of a genius solution, you know, some litmus test for, are they really the deal? I please let me know because I'm genuinely like, I wouldn't want to work for a company that wasn't genuinely committed to that, but I just, I can't think of a way that you know until you get there, at which point you're committed. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I guess another approach that you could do too, which may be a little devious, but it's more personable, I guess, 
um, from the people research side is if you're on LinkedIn, there's a ton of people on LinkedIn. And if you're thinking about, you know, working at a company, maybe you could reach out to someone who's already working inside that company and, and just do like a soft introduction and say, hey, I see that you're working at XYZ. I'm thinking about applying. Can you give me a little bit insight about the culture or how has your experience been working for this company? And I think the thing, uh, LinkedIn is a good place to do that. Places like Glassdoor can give you some insight into that. I know that Glassdoor is trying to work more to get more information around diversity and inclusion and that sort of thing. But it, I, it is just, man, it's really hard. I think, so diversity and inclusion, because it's a big passion of mine, um, is something that we ask all of our guests about. Um, and it's been very interesting because we talked to a couple of people who are sort of director level in IT, which is notoriously the bastion of white men <laughs> um, about, you know, what are you personally as a hiring manager doing about this? And their responses were that they don't have the talent at this level because the people at this level aren't doing enough to, to breed that diversity and, and, and inclusion. And I, I can understand from a practical perspective what they're saying. And at the same time, damn it, Genesis, it just feels like that's passing the buck. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. you have the ability to hire somebody like, so I don't know. I didn't have anything smart to say back to them. What should I have said back? Well, what? Well, so you're saying that you're relying, it, well, the way I kind of heard it was they're relying at the people down below in order to go source those candidates. And then once those candidates are sourced, then they will get in front of them to It's that they don't have the experience, that they need somebody with 15 years experience and that there aren't candidates from a diverse background with 15 years experience because the guys hiring at the four and five year experience level are the ones not hiring people from a diverse background. That was their answer. Well, why can't, you know, they go out there and either find someone, like they go personally out there and find someone with the experience and source that person themselves if they feel like the person at the bottom is not doing a good job at hiring. Because if, say, if I'm in an executive position and I know what I want and what I'm looking for, then maybe I need to, you know, step outside of my role or take some time out of my schedule to see if I can procure someone to find that thing because it seems like you're just putting all the responsibility on the person below you and not taking any accountability for your own actions. And then, you know, we also have to think about it this way. Maybe they don't have, you know, the 10 to 15 years experience, but you have to think, okay, if you were, if you were going back during time, someone took a chance on you and they groomed you to where you want to, where you want it to go in your career. So why can't you give a, another person a chance? And if you see that they're capable of doing it, you could groom them to the role that you want them to be slotted into. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, we need stronger mentors. We need more people building those bridges for folks to help to overcome all of the thousands of ways <laughs> that our country keeps people of color out of places of power. Um, and I think that, yeah, I just wish that, you know, I think if any of us come up with the magic solution to how to suddenly fix that tomorrow, we should, we should definitely put that <laughs> into place. I just, I am at kind of a loss and I know 
you know, I, I get asked all the time to speak for the experience of women in business because I am a woman. And I am sure that you get asked all the time to speak for the experience of all black women in business, especially after writing a book like Chocolate Drop. Um, so, and I don't know the answer. Do you know what I mean? Like not yeah. all women have my experience. Not all women feel the same way I do. Not very few of them are as mouthy as I am. <laughs> very few of them are a lot of the things that I am. So I, I don't have the answer for even how to build those bridges for women. Mm -hmm. And it's really frustrating for me that clients expect that I do. And um, I do work with a lot in the IT sector and I have a lot of clients who'll come and be like, well, you have lady parts. Tell me all about what we do to hire more women. They don't say lady parts, but yeah. <laughs> like, you're a woman. Tell me about, you know, how do we hire more women? And so I feel like, I, I feel like there must be that same like problem for you, right? That like, oh, Genesis, you have melanin in your skin. Tell us, how do we hire more people that look like you? <laughs> and, and your answer can't, you, you, you know, it has to be, Mm -hmm. I can't speak for all of them, friend. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I how, do you, how do you feel about that? Like, how do, how, do you get frustrated with that? Do you get that a lot from, from employers? What is your experience there? So half and half, not a lot from employers, because I've been with my current company for seven and a half years, and I'll, you know, this coming February, I'll be laid off, so I'll be doing something completely new. So I feel like whenever people ask me that, um, I kind of, you know, flip the script on them and say, well, are you the spokesperson for everyone in your organization or are you the spokesperson for everyone in your group? And then I also tell them I am an imperfect person becoming a better version of myself daily. And I could tell you about my personal experiences and how they may correlate to someone that looked like that looks like me, but not all of our experiences are the same. So mm -hmm. it just really depends on where you're coming from and are you going to be open-minded whenever you're talking to someone just like all black people don't look alike all white people don't look alike um well now that's just not true Genesis. yeah we know that we do <laughs> and i feel like you just really have to take out those the dumbfoundedness out of yeah. you know certain people because i feel like whenever they have that methodology then it's really limiting them. And you could see that they're already closed-minded. And if they're already closed-minded, are they really going to be receptive to what you have to say? You know, I, yeah, I think that there's so many people who are defensive before the conversation starts. Mm -hmm. Like they go into the conversation being defensive that they're going to be called whatever the ist is, ageist, yeah. sexist, racist, whatever. Mm -hmm. and And that they're so busy worrying about is this person going to put that label on me that they're not interested in a dialogue and they're not interested in actually hearing and actually learning from, from what you have to say to them. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong uh, with having, you know, la labels or you could tell people like, okay, like I don't like labels. I'm sure you don't like labels and maybe just put that disclaimer out front and we, and you, we could just say, Hey, we're, we're just trying to have an, a transparent dialogue to really get to the root of the problem to see if there's any way that we could bridge a gap or look for some solutions together because, you know, there has been times, I'm sure, where we have all been labeled racist 
whether or not we said something and you're like, wait, that's not what I meant, but someone interprets it a different way than how you intended it to come out. What do you, what is your take on the position that everyone is racist, that there is not a, that we all, that racism is making judgments about people based on their race and that as human creatures, we do that and that the best we can do is learn to, to fight our impulse. What, what would your take be on, on that? I Just feel like personally. <laughs> everyone has some form of racist, uh, racism tendencies, whether they are intentional or unintentional based on, you know, the product of our environment or how we have been brought up. Because I've heard, you know, people say, oh, you know, Mexicans, they just cut grass, but you know, that's, they, that's how they were taught. But, but I sure. know, like, I personally know that person. And I know they're not a, ra a racism because, you know, they're married to a Mexican or they're married to a Hispanic or whatever. Yeah. So it's like, okay, if someone from the outside, um, you know, was listening to our conversation, they would obviously say, oh my gosh, that person is racist. But you don't know that, okay, oh, his wife or, you know, her husband is Hispanic or Mexican, but you just heard that, oh yeah, Mexican people just cut grass. And then you just fly off at the hinges and then there goes a rumor, you know, running down the rumor mill. Absolutely. So, my, I have a, a neighbor that's a great example of that. My husband is English. Um, and we had been living in England for a long time and we moved to this country. We just immigrated. This is the first guy my husband meets in Texas, yeah. right? And he comes over and he's like, where are y'all from? <laughs> <laughs> like England. <laughs> um, and he's like, and this guy goes, well, I guess that completes the set. We've got two blacks and a couple of Hispanics. And I think we even got some Asians. So that's the whole lot now that we've got English people as well. And my husband and I were like, oh my dear God, <laughs> the most racist thing I've ever heard. And we were both just completely horrified. And then we got to know him. His wife is Hispanic. Yeah. And like, he's not, he's obviously racist. I do prescribe to the, everyone's a little bit racist. We just have to fight against that. Uh, mentality myself but I'm like so I just like he just doesn't think before he opens his mouth you know what I mean and like I know I see the same with my sister my sister is married to a Hispanic guy she has beautiful little like like honey colored skin kids that have like a little bit of him and a little bit of her and oh beautiful babies and uh, but she makes the most racist jokes in the world when she was weeding him, she would be like, better get used to beans and cheese, my friend, you're a Mexican kid. And I was like, dude, you can't say that. That is so racist. And she's like, I'm married to a Mexican. I can say what I want. And so I think that I like, I hear exactly what you're saying. Yeah. People who think, I think that we are, we have all been guilty of having stereotype thoughts and sometimes giving air to them. And that even, and that sometimes I worry that people like my neighbor or my sister who are in that position where they have kind of some kind of a credential that says that they can't be really racist, <laughs> it then, but then because they make those jokes, it makes it okay for other people. Does that make sense? Like it pushes yes. that line pushes out the, there yes. that like, well, I mean, if they could say that. I mean, you know what I mean? And I, yeah. like, that's always my worry is that you think it's funny, you know where you come from, 
but not everybody around you knows and I feel like it just kind of opens up you know Pandora's box because if they say that then someone else who may have those same desires who are truly racist racist and they really don't like certain people from other groups and they could say something else and then your neighbor or your sister would be like wait what the heck did you just say and though and then that's where confrontation will creep creep in and then, you know, the conversation that was, you know, meant to be fun and games or just like a little sidebar joke can turn into a full-blown altercation. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so easy and so quick for those kind of comments and those kind of jokes to get so not funny and just cut so deep, especially when you have a different cultural experience. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Like... So my, um, I'm half uh, Native American and my husband's father is not culturally sensitive, I think is the polite way to put it. <laughs> um, and so he uses a lot of racial epitaphs for Native Americans. And I've over and over again had to be like, hey, you, you really can't use those words. They're really like hugely culturally <laughs> sensitive and really pretty, pretty obnoxious. Like he calls my kids half breeds, <laughs> stuff like that. And so it's like without, but he thinks all of that is no, no big deal. And just a joke because he doesn't have a cultural background that has all of the other baggage that comes with it. And I think that to your point earlier about how we can't see all of the ways that we're diverse, like we don't wear all of it on our sleeve, that we never know where those moments or lines must be. So we just all, I think, need to do a better job of not making jokes that are only funny within certain <laughs> cultural bounds and hearing and apologizing when we screw up because we're gonna. Yeah, everyone needs grace and mercy and it, it does suck, but we have to say, okay, this is what I tell some of the younger people of my family. Like, would you say that same thing if Jesus was at your table? And if you wouldn't, then you shouldn't say it in public. There you go. Yeah. It's like the, you know, if you wouldn't say it in front of your granny, don't say it to anyone yes. else. Though with my grandmothers, that's a very low bar. So, <laughs> so um, we are filming this um, a couple of days after the second impeachment of Donald Trump and a week after the Capitol insurrection. I do not feel safe in this country um, right now. And I think that most of us are dealing with anxiety and safety feelings of that. So I just want to check in with you. How are you feeling about everything, Genesis? What is your because you're in this space in such an intense way with this book and everything else. Like, how are you feeling about all of it? Um, there are senses and moments that I do feel overwhelmed, but then I really have to, you know, check in with, you know, 
my myself and practice my self-care and self-awareness and what that looks like for me is when I'm feeling overwhelmed I may you know go for a bike ride or you know go do some exercise like yesterday I went to the gym and today I'm like so sore my abs like hurt so bad just sitting here (laughs) or I'll practice like journaling or meditating and it's just my healthy way to get those thoughts out of my head onto paper so I can reflect upon them or listening to music, I am a big music fanatic, like whether it's Christian hip hop, whether it's like, you know, trap music, reggae, whatever. I definitely think like whenever you listen to music, it really suits you. And then I could be like, you know, my crazy fun self. Like if I wanna dance with no rhythm at home, I could do that, but it's a way of getting myself out of that element. And just not tuning in too much to the media because the media is always going to put a spin on things, whether it's a good spin or a bad spin. So like what I started to do was scale back the amount of time that I was I am watching the news because when you watch the news and you feed into the negativity, it just, you know, creates more anxiety, that it brings up more anger and et cetera. And you're like, seriously, like, is this the country we're living in or whatever the case may be, whether you're left or right. And I feel like, you know, no, no person has, you know, has it all figured out what happened in the Capitol. You know, I did not approve of that. And it just shows that, you know, our country is definitely divided. And I just felt like, you know, I have friends that were for it and I have friends that were for against it. So what I did was just not really speak about it because you could just say one simple thing and it could just be blown out of proportion. And then, you know, there goes a friendship or, you know, that there goes a marriage or whatever the case may be. So even like talking about it with my husband, I was like, okay, we have to know our limits and our boundaries when it comes to certain things. Are you on different sides of the divide? Yes and no. Some sometimes. <laughs> Ooh, Genesis. Oh, this is a rough time for that. I am impressed that you guys have managed to navigate it. I know several marriages that have ended in the last four years that they couldn't take the divide, and that was before this month. So, <laughs> yeah, it is. It's it is challenging sometimes because I'm like, what? I cannot, or whatever the case may be. And you probably like, say about your side, right? Like what? <laughs> Yes. So I just practiced a little technique that his mother taught me, uh, relax, relate, release. (laughs) And I was like, okay, I like her three R's, but then my three R's have been refuel, refocus, and realign. So then I, I take my three R's and pair them with her three R's. And then we all have like a little kumbaya and I'm like, "Uh, I'm good. You know, I think like as a, as a country, I think we should all take your mother-in-law's advice and just all like, we just need a breather. I think we've been on this tension-based like roller coaster for so long now that none of us can stand to look at the other. And then when you put COVID with that, yeah. I think that there is something about the lack of, of tactile interaction. You know, there's something when you can't hug your neighbor that yeah. makes it a lot easier to think that maybe you hate them. <laughs> <laughs> and there's something about, I think, breaking bread with people, right? Like I can't have some, I can't go have a meal with somebody that I disagree with and work it out 
over chips and queso. And I really believe that chips and queso may actually fix everything in the world. And a margarita. Like, so uh, many margaritas. Yes. So many. Absolutely. I live oh, in Texas and there's so many good Mexican places. Same. I live just outside Austin. So absolutely. Where do you live? Georgetown or where do you live? Yeah, just Georgetown. <laughs> oh, wow. That was a crazy guess. So we're in Cyprus. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, same. Like, I just feel like you know, queso and margarita Chewies could really, like, I feel like if we had more summits at Chewies, the world would be a much more understanding place. Than <laughs> and I also have to say I'm envious as you're talking about like all of your ways of dealing with this stuff. They're very healthy. Mine mostly involve new ice cream flavors and cake from HEB. Um, Why do you have to say ice cream? That's like a weak spot for me because We've never chips and queso and margaritas. <laughs> Marvel Slam came out with this whiskey ice cream flavor, and I really want to go try it to see, like, how does it really taste? It's like whiskey with Marble Slam. I'm like, yes. I, I got to tell you, my uh, one of my girlfriends turned me on to Tillamook ice cream, uh -huh. um, and like I had eaten their cheese. It did not occur to me that they can make ice cream, but they have ruined me for all other ice cream. Really? It's even better than Bluebell. Oh, no, 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 no. Blasphemy no. in Texas. You can't say it better than Bluebell. I know. It's crazy. We're going to have to have a sidebar afterwards. Sidebar. <laughs> Ice cream sidebar. So, um, but yeah, so I, I think that I have really enjoyed hearing your thoughts. And I, I feel like I've learned and I hope that you feel like I've listened. Um, and I hope that people can maybe model a little more of, of this talking and, and honest listening and asking questions. I think that that would make everything a lot better. What have we not covered that you would like for us to, other than our sidebar for later? Okay, so I definitely wanna um, just recap really quick about yeah. like inclusion and diversity. So um, not just listen, but take actions. If you see something that is not right, or if you were a part of something, then there's no harm in speaking up and, you know, saying why you support what you support. So listen, take action, and then make sure you have a call to action. Like whenever you're sharing something, make sure that you're putting something out there that the person on the receiving end can apply or they can learn. So either apply or digest. So and I would definitely encourage you to just take one, one or two minutes out of your day to always reflect on how your day went or what you learned throughout that day. And then go back and look on the look up on the things that you wrote down or et cetera. And you could see the progression or you know how you are transitioning or transforming your life for the better. I like that advice. I, I would add to that because I think that I get to, because I have pale skin, that I um, I believe that it is the solemn duty of, of every pale skin person out there to stand up against every form of microaggression, to take that burden, that it is not your job to stand up every time somebody does something asinine. It is our job to stand up and use all of that white privilege and say, no and stop it and so I think that as you were saying you know if you if you see something you need to act and it's um you know that's what I'm trying to teach my boys that's what I'm trying to live myself and I think if we all lived that 
it would be a lot better place for all of us. So that's amazing. Thank you so much for adding <laughs> that. Cause I, I definitely am rooting for allyships and I'm like, when are the allies going to stand up? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And there are, there's a cluster of us. They're like, we're here. <laughs> we're here. <laughs> but you know, and I just, yeah, my, uh, my girlfriend and I were saying the other day that, um, we almost wish that there was like some kind of an app that's like, are you a person of color who's been stopped by the police and feels unsafe? Text me. I will come and stand there with my white bougie self and stare <laughs> at them. So they will, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I yeah. shield and stand there. And like, I hate that that's necessary, but I just, I wish that that was something that I could do. Does that make sense? Yes, that definitely makes sense because some, some, so many times people are like, okay, that doesn't apply to me, not my business. I'm going to keep on going or whatever the case may be. And you just never know how maybe if you stop for like a minute to five minutes, how you could have been the change that that person needed. Absolutely. Absolutely. I definitely want to share. <laughs> yes, share. Um. If you haven't already, uh, make sure you pick up a copy of Chocolate Drop in Corporate America, From the Pit to the Palace. Um, don't let the title fool you. There is definitely more inside the book than what meets the eyes on the cover. The book is only 102 pages, so just a very quick read. There's um, some reflection quotes in the book um, towards the back, because I think it's very important that we reflect. And then there's also an extra exercise that I call my discovery exercise who am I because I think it's so important that we all take time to find out who we are as individuals and not what people want us to be the book is available on Amazon in paperback for $13 I also have a Kindle version available for $2.99 and my book is also on Goodreads for those of you who have a Goodreads account as well as Kindle Unlimited. And if you have a Kindle Unlimited, the book is free. So make Fantastic. sure you grab a book, leave a transparent Amazon review. I definitely want to know what your feedback is. And there's definitely more in store for Genesis. Oh, I am excited. We will have uh, links to the product, to the book uh, on Amazon, as well as all of your social media stuff so that people can follow you and see what comes next. Um, and I am sure that that will not be a disappointing thing to watch at all. So <laughs> thank you so much for your time, Genesis. Um, and thanks for being part of, hey, I want your job. Thank you so much for having me. And it's been a pleasure just having like an open, honest, you know, transparent conversation where we could really, you know, dice it up. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. You've been listening to, Hey, I want your job. For more information on how you can get your own awesome job, visit ONH Consulting at www.onhconsulting.com. We offer incredible resumes, no-nonsense career advice, and real-world tips for landing a job in today's market. Check us out on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Insta for more insider information. Soon, you'll be hearing us say, I'm Michelle Olivier, and hey, I want your job.